Welcome to 721 Live, the video arm of 721 Ministries. I'm Sam Hunter. Thank you for joining us. I'm glad you're with us. Today, let's talk about the armor of God. Now, the Apostle Paul is sitting in Rome. He has a Roman soldier guarding him. And he looks at this Roman soldier and he starts to ponder the armor that a soldier put on for battle. And how is it that Paul makes the connection of a Roman soldier's armor to the armor of God that each Christian needs each day? It's a fascinating thought, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So you stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm glad you're with us. Let me just remind you to start with that you can hit that little subscribe button and you'll get these videos automatically when we produce them. Just hit that little subscribe button and you'll get these automatically when we produce them. But again, I'm glad you're with us. We're talking about the armor of God today. And again, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem somewhere in, let's just say, 58 AD. He spent two years in Caesarea by the sea under, under guard and was then transferred to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. Caesar at the time, the Roman emperor, was Nero. Paul is not in the Mamertine prison dungeon, which is where he was when he wrote 2 Timothy. He is in a rented house. He has to provide for himself. himself. He can see friends, but he has a Roman soldier with him at all times. And the term for this was he was under, light, he was under a light chain. What it means is, this Roman soldier is either physically chained to him, but at a very minimum with him at all times, because when Nero decides to hear Paul's case, this Roman soldier has one hour to get Paul to him. If he does not get Paul to him in that one hour, he's going to lose his head. So the soldier's with him at all times, and Paul is going to write a letter to the family of followers in, Ephes in Ephesus, what we call the, the letter to the Ephesians. And towards the end, in chapter 6, he starts to think about spiritual armor. And it, it has to have come from him watching this Roman soldier 24 hours a day and thinking about the armor the Roman soldier puts on before he goes into battle to protect his most vulnerable areas. Now, Paul thinks to himself, as Christians, as Christians, we have an enemy. We have a very strong and powerful and wily enemy. And you can go back to our previous videos to hear some of our talks about Satan. But nevertheless, Paul realizes a great way to create an imagery of this is to talk about the armor of God that Christians want to put on every day to protect our most vulnerable areas. So we created this poster to kind of walk us through this. And here we have the Ephesians 6, which we will, we, we will go through these passages. But here is the, the uh, little poster that we put together. And you see this Roman soldier. And this is pretty accurate as to what this looked like. He's got the helmet of salvation. He's got the breastplate of righteousness. He's got the shield of trust that will protect him against the flaming arrows of the evil one. We'll talk more about those. He's got the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
He's got the belt of truth, and he's got the gospel of peace. This is what Paul describes taking this, his cue from a Roman soldier's armor to protect him from his, in his most vulnerable areas against his enemy. Paul starts off with, with Ephesians 6, and I want, to, I want us to just take a look at that because he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And Paul has talked about schemes in other letters. Satan is someone who is after us. And as we said last week, you do not need to be afraid of him, but you do want to realize and have respect for his schemes, his power. He's a wily one. He's an adversary. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done this, done everything, to stand. Now, I want to make a couple of points about this. You'll notice when I finish reading this that Paul is emphasizing standing. Stand your ground. Stand with your feet firm. Because you live in the kingdom of God. And you have nothing to be afraid of. You don't back up. You don't necessarily go picking a fight with Satan. But we have no reason to be afraid of him because, as Jesus said, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. John said that, bringing that from Jesus. Jesus said, you'll be better off with the Holy Spirit inside of you than even having me with you. So we have no reason to fear. So we stand our ground, putting on the full armor of God. I also want you to notice that he said, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the rulers and the authorities of the evil realm, of the evil one. And I was reading a book recently, and I, I, I think it was the book that's entitled 57 Words That Changed the World. And it's a it's about the, whole, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And in it, the author said, the people that you consider to be your enemy, they're not the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. That person that you consider to be your enemy is not your enemy. We're not dealing with flesh and blood. We're dealing with the real enemy. They are just victims. And quite often, they're such victims that they're prisoners of the evil one. But again, our battle is not against other humans, really it's against the, the evil forces in this world. And Paul is very clear, as was Jesus, Satan is real, he's a problem, he's coming after you, we are stronger than he is with the Holy Spirit. So Paul is gearing us up to put on the full armor of God, and he begins with the belt of truth. The belt of truth, which we will see what it protects. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now that's what we're going to talk about first. The belt of truth buckled around your waist. I want to show you this diagram. And we're going to look very closely at the belt of truth. You see the belt of truth here. And you see that the belt of truth is not just a belt that holds up his, I don't know if you call that a skirt or whatever, but it has this protective padding hanging down from it. Now, if you're a man you see real quickly the importance of this protective padding. This is a man's most vulnerable area. Just think about this Roman soldier with all of his, all of his gear 
and a little 15-year-old girl can come up and kick him in just the right spot, and he's not going to be a very effective soldier. So not to spend too much time on that, but the belt of truth protects your most vulnerable area. Now let's just pause on that for a minute. Let's talk about truth in this culture. There is no truth. There is no truth in this culture. Truth is relative. Truth is what you believe it to be. I mean, it has gotten so bizarre, I don't even need to go into the details of how ridiculous and bizarre our culture has become that a man can say, I feel like a woman and I'm going to have a baby. It's, it, everything else in our culture has just gone haywire, and quite frankly, it's been doing this for a long time. It just seems to have, have really accelerated in the last couple of years. There is no truth in this culture, and there hasn't been for a long time. How do we cut through the fog of all of these, all of this messaging that's coming towards us, and it's going to be with the, with the truth? Your most vulnerable area is being able to sort out the truth. Now, we're going to talk about where we get this truth from, which is obviously from the Scripture. And one thing that I want to make clear, and I'll finish with this so that I'll be sure to remind you, we're going to talk about truth, absolute truth, coming from Jesus and coming from our Heavenly Father. And the the message comes through the Scriptures. I'm going to try to emphasize to you that you want to be so familiar with the Scriptures. You do not have to be an expert. You do not have to have it all memorized. But to be familiar enough to where when you hear something that doesn't sound right, when you hear something that's in conflict with the Scripture, or in conflict with the character of your Heavenly Father, then you you can automatically say, wait a minute, that, that, that doesn't fit. I'm not even sure I can find the passage. I can Google it. I'll be able to find it. But that that doesn't fit. That doesn't sound like truth. For instance, one of the men came into one of our meetings and he said, this this passage where Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace to this world. I've come to bring a sword. And I've come to turn father against wife and father against mother and father against child and brother against sister. And he said, I... I don't understand how Jesus is saying, I've come to turn people against each other. I've not come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. So I said, well, let's just step back for a minute. I know, I know the passage you're talking about. It's in Matthew. But does that fit with Jesus' character? I mean, if you've read enough of the Gospels, you become, you become familiar with Jesus and his character and you can say, no, 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 clearly there's something else at play here. He did not come to purposefully split families. Families are going to be split because he did come. Because some are going to devote their lives to Jesus and others in the same family are going to think they're nuts. Or they're fanatics. Or they're crazy. So the result is going to be that this happens. But that's So when we listen to that passage, If you do not know your scripture, and even worse, you do not know Jesus, you do not know his personality, his character, his heart, or your Heavenly Father's heart, you're not going to hear that and understand, well, there must be something more going on here. So we want to be so familiar with the scriptures, and the way we become familiar with the scriptures is we we read the scriptures. We read it. I want to encourage you, if you're not already doing this, to read a passage from the Bible every day. We call it, 
or devotional time in the morning or quiet time. But you want it's not it's not an academic exercise. It's not a discipline, although you may have to discipline yourself to get started. But I really encourage you to be able to read the scriptures consistently so that you can know what the truth is. You can understand what the truth is. So we have the belt of truth, which is protecting with this padding, is protecting his most vulnerable area. Our most vulnerable area is truth. What is truth? How do we find truth? The belt of truth. Let's start with this statement. Father, today I need Holy Spirit power to see truth, to know truth, to filter truth, and to speak truth. That's something we want to pray each morning because Jesus said, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is going to guide us into truth. But we have an adversary. And Jesus tells us about this adversary. First, he says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But now when it comes to Satan, when he lies, he speaks his native tongue, his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, then you're my disciples, and then you're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When I look around this culture, and I see the really pitiable, pathetic condition that so many people are in mentally and emotionally. Suicides are up. Depression has gone through the roof. People are so mixed up and they're so upside down. They are prisoners of the enemy. They are. They're victims. So many of them today are prisoners. The truth will set you free when you understand God's perfect love for you. And we're going to tease this out in just a moment. His perfect love, His perfect power, His perfect presence, His perfect plan. When you understand those things and you start to live them out, appropriate them into your life and then live them out, freedom comes with that. Freedom. I've often thought that if you did a poll across America and said, you know, write down words that you associate with being a Christian, freedom would never even make the top ten across the nation. Possibly even with, across the, the church population. But freedom is what you live when you understand the truth. We have an adversary. He lies to us. He's constantly sending lies our way. And so we want to be aware of that, and we want to be able to take our stand against that. For he is the father of lies, and all he can do is lie to you. He cannot really hurt you. He can bluff, he can confuse, and he can cause doubt. Here's what we do when we have an attack, when we are wobbling, when we are not sure of what's going on, when we don't really know and we're fogged up and we cannot see clearly, we go back to the facts because our feelings overwhelm us and our faith just wobbles all off. Let's go back to the facts. And I've given you three passages here, which I could have given you five dozen more, but these three address Satan's lies, what he will lie to you about. So the first one comes from Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. I have authority over everything, Jesus says. And surely, in addition to my authority, I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
God the Father in Deuteronomy says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, because of your enemies. For the Lord your God, God Almighty, all-powerful God, goes with you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. And then John the, the disciple, who referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, said this, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. These are three facts. That as you read Scripture and familiarize yourself with Scripture, these things will come to mind when life starts to turn upside down because Satan is trying to sow into your heart doubt. He's trying to bluff you, confuse you, and get you to doubt. And what is it that he's trying to get you to doubt? Well, we just mentioned it. The Father's perfect love, perfect power, perfect presence. I could add to this perfect plan. His perfect love, His perfect power, His perfect presence. Now, it occurred to me while I was putting this lesson together. And this is a personal question. This is not, there's not a right or wrong on this. This is really personal to you. Of these three, and if we wanted to add His perfect plan, we could do that. Where do you wobble? Where do you, when life starts to get stressful or turns upside down, where does your faith tend to weaken? Is it with God's perfect love? Is it with his perfect power? Is it with his perfect presence? Or perhaps even his perfect plan? So I asked this question to the various men's groups, and I got different answers, which I would have expected. Some said, I have a hard time understanding and living that he loves me perfectly. I'm so flawed that how could he love me perfectly? Others at time would say, well, when tragedy hits, how is it that he's all-powerful? How did he allow this to happen if he's all-powerful? And then others said, it's his perfect presence that starts to fade away from me, that I start to lose my grasp on. And so I thought about that, and it occurred to me that the perfect presence is the, is the uh, stumbling block for the others. For instance, I am 100% locked in that God loves me perfectly and that his whole love, everything about him is perfect love. Perfect love. And that gives me great assurance. I'm equally as locked in to God being perfectly powerful. Satan has no power over, over my the Heavenly Father, over God Almighty, El Shaddai. I'm 100% locked into that. But if I'm going to wobble in my faith, if I'm going to start to get strained and stressed and have anxiety, it's because I'm not so sure that he's perfectly present in these details of my life. That's where I'm going to falter. Now, think about this for a minute. What good does it do me if God is perfectly loving and perfectly powerful, but he's not present in the details of my life? What good is that going to do me? Sure, he loves perfectly. He is perfect love. Sure, he's all-powerful. But what if he's not paying attention to the details of this particular problem I have? This, this problem with my family, with illness, with money, with marriage. What if he's off taking care of the other billions of people in the world and he's not clued in and tuned in to the details of my situation? So I think if we could really lock into his perfect presence, I'll never leave you. I'm with you until the end of the age. I'll never forsake you. I'm in the details. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, 
He knows even the hairs on your head. He knows everything about you at all times. Time means nothing to God Almighty. He created time literally for us. He's always with us. But Satan will cast doubt on those things. His perfect love, his perfect power, his perfect presence. Let's keep going because we're only going to cover three of these. The next is the shield of trust. It's, it's referred to as a shield of faith, but I always substitute trust for faith, which will protect us from the flaming arrows of the evil one. And those flaming arrows consist of lies, of trying to keep us so busy and distracted about what's important in life, creating these illusions that everybody else has a perfect life and we're losers and, and, and all the things that we're missing, which is so prevalent with social media today, to get us discouraged. This sword, this shield, excuse me, is about a foot and a half wide and about four feet long. And it's made of leather, but it has a metal rim around it. And it's called the shield of faith. Paul talks about it as the shield of faith. And for a Roman soldier, yes, it would protect him from these arrows that are coming from the enemy. But what I want you to think about is in, is in battle. Yes, individually, Hold the shield up. Protect yourself from arrows individually. But if you've ever watched any movies with Roman warfare going, then you see that more often than not, the soldiers lock arms together and they lock the shields side by side and they create a rock-solid barrier. And then the ones directly behind them, they hold their shields up. So now you've got a moving fortress. And these arrows are coming down and these, these spears are coming down and flaming arrows even. They cannot penetrate the shields of trust. So we have this defense against Satan's lies, and it's trust. It's trust. Trusting what? What we just talked about. Your Heavenly Father's perfect love. Jesus having all authority and being with you at all times. Always all-powerful and always in the details of your life. That's what this shield will do for us. Let's look again at the passage. The shield of trust and the sword of the Spirit which equals the word of God. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which I call trust, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. We'll talk about the helmet of salvation in our next video. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word. Now that's a different Greek word here. It's rhema. And we're going to talk about rhema. You can pronounce it rhema of God. We're going to talk specifically about that. Here we have the shield of trust, which is a defensive piece of armor, and we have the sword of the Spirit, which goes to offense. Let's go back and look at this one more time. We've got the shield here, which is protecting us. This sword, this sword is not a big, broad sword that you swing around like you see gladiators or you see uh, the Knights of the Round Table with the Arthurian legend. This is a dagger sword, and it's used very specifically. It is used to stab the enemy in front of you. Imagine, picture this wall of soldiers. They've got their shields up. They're locked together because there are times when we need our brothers and sisters with us to lock swords to help build each other's trust. So they're in this, in this, in this setting. They've got the shields up. You've got the enemy coming right at you. 
you pull your, you cannot pull a big broadsword out. You'll lose, you'll chop off half the heads of your people around you. This sword is very specific. Now, the reason I'm emphasizing that is the rhema of God, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, is a very specific application of the scriptures. Here we have the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. Rhema is a verse or a portion of scripture that the Holy Spirit brings to our attention with application to a current situation or need for direction. A specific sword for a specific time for you for the now. Here's another way of saying it. It is a divinely inspired impression upon your soul a flash of thought or a creative idea from God, it is conceived in your spirit but birthed into your natural understanding by divine illumination. A true rhema carries with it a deep inner assurance and witness of the spirit. You see, the rhema of God, the word of God, but the rhema of God is for a specific reason. It's for a specific situation. It's for a specific application. It's when the Holy Spirit reminds you of the fact about your Heavenly Father's character and about Jesus. Loves you perfectly. Perfectly powerful. Perfectly present. The reign of God is different from Logos, which is another translation in the English of Word of God. It's different from the overall Word of God. It's a very specific application. And this is how we see it used in Scripture. When Jesus is in the, is in the desert, battling against Satan... He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Very specific application. He also says in John 6, the words, rhema, that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He's using this, he's using this in a very specific manner. As the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema of God, is a very specific application. It's beautiful that the way this language works together, you think Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it and to pull it all together like this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema, those special occasions when the Holy Spirit brings the Scripture to your heart. Now let's go back to my original statement. How is the Holy Spirit going to bring Scripture to your heart if you're not at all familiar with Scripture? If you don't really read Scripture, how is the Holy Spirit going to be able to speak the rhema of God into your life? So back, we're back to the belt of truth, which is where we find the truth, reading God's Word. So the, the shield of trust, which is the trust is based on the word of truth that we get from our Heavenly Father. And then the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the specific application is how we take His Word in the situations where we most need it, when we are being attacked, when we're starting to wobble in our faith and our feelings are starting to take over. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rama, rima that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Here's another passage about Scripture. And again, I'm, I'm seeking to get you to read more Scripture, to become more familiar with it. Again, you don't have to be an expert, but just read it enough to where you really understand it. All scriptures God breathed. Now, when Paul writes this, this is 2 Timothy. He's now in the Mammontine dungeon, and he's going to die. When he talks about all scripture, he's talking about the Older Testament. There's no New Testament at this point. All scriptures God breathed 
and is useful. And I'm going to add to this passage, is useful for teaching you, rebuking you, correcting you, and training you in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scriptures God breathed, and it's useful for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness. Now it occurred to me when I was reading this passage, if you're reading scripture, and when you're reading scripture, if you are not hearing the teaching, and if you're not feeling rebuked at times into your spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and if you're not being trained in righteousness or feeling that correction, then what would that tell us about the way you're reading Scripture? And just pause, because it, the Scripture is alive and breathing. It, it, is, it, it moves in our hearts. If you're not getting into this when you're reading Scripture, there's any number of things that are going on. But the first one is you're reading it too fast. You're trying to read one, two, three chapters because it makes you feel good and you put it on a checklist. You're reading it with a distracted mind. I can, I can find myself having read a chapter and I remember nothing that I read because I was distracted. Now when that happens, I typically stop and I'll say, Holy Spirit, let, let me take a deep breath. I'm here to read this scripture. I'm here to be with you, Jesus. I'm going to slow back down. Let me get centered. Let me read this slowly. So if you're not being taught, you're not being rebuked, you're not being corrected, you're not being trained in righteousness, you're not paying attention to what it is you're reading. You're either in a hurry, you're reading too much, you're reading too fast, or you're not reading the Scripture with the Holy Spirit's inspiration. I saw this quotation, I don't know who to assign it to, but it said, we must read the Scripture with the same Spirit that wrote the Scripture. So learn to read the Scripture with the Holy Spirit, because all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired. The belt of truth protects our most vulnerable area. It, lets us, it helps us to understand what truth really is. The, sword of, the shield of faith helps us to trust that truth and protect us against the lies coming to us from the evil one. And then the rhema of God. Back to this poster, just to give you one more view of this. And my question as we finish today is how are you going to be able to live? How are you going to put this full armor of God on? How is this going to happen that you can call on this full armor of God and it's going to come from your familiar, familiarizing yourself with Scripture, getting up each morning. I, I, I encourage you. I implore you. I would rebuke you if it would help that you wake up each morning and set aside some time to read some Scripture. Slow down. If you want to reach out to me at our website, 721ministries.org, sam at 721ministries.org, I'll help you with a reading plan. But slow down, read the Scripture. M many people memorize Scripture. Now, I know that sounds sort of Old Testament-y, or maybe it sounds like you know, no fun for sure, or just a discipline. Here's what I found. If I'm reading Scripture slowly enough, then there are times when I come across a passage, and I will, my heart will say, oh, I want to I lock that passage in. I either am going to memorize it because it's so rich, I want that in my heart, or I'm going to memorize where it is so that I can find it the next time I need it. So I really encourage you to think that way. One last story. One of the men in our Lawrence group, Willie, 
who was a pastor at one time, just recently retired, he said when he went to this most recent church, there were a lot of older people there, mostly older people, and he said, we're going to learn the Word of God, and we're even going to memorize Scripture. And of course, everybody threw their hands up and said, we're too old to memorize Scripture and all that kind of thing. But there was a man there who was illiterate. He couldn't read, nor could he write. Now, he had done, he'd done well in life, but he couldn't read and he couldn't write. But somehow he memorized three passages. And Willie was telling us the story about the transformation in this man as he memorized those three passages. He became a different man. And it, it, it reminds me that you're not memorizing Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. You're not memorizing a set of facts or stats about your favorite football team or your favorite athlete. You're not memorizing math formulas or history, anything like You're memorizing living and breathing the Word of God. And when you do that, and maybe you just start small and you try one or two, you're putting into your heart, you're changing your DNA so that the Holy Spirit can take that and do more things with it than you would ever imagine just having done it. So how do we take all this armor of God and put it on? We first familiarize ourselves with Scripture by reading it and reading it slowly and taking in the character and the nature of our Heavenly Father and of Jesus. You can put on the full armor of God. You want to do it every day. You want to be able to take your stand against the schemes of the evil one. Because there's more. You know it. Come and find it.